From the mind of a maniac. Eight horror stories that are interconnected either significantly or slightly and are all bundled into one gigantic collection. That's right, you get eight books for the price of one. Maniac on the Loose, The Nine Lives of Ski Mask, The Craving, The Caretakers, It Lives in the Attic, Goat Sucker, Spirit Stalkers, Hell is Full. All eight books for the price of one. Go to Amazon and search for From the Mind of a Maniac or go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Castle I'm a 37-year-old female. What I'm about to reveal happened this past year. I was traveling from Evansville, Indiana to Nashville, Tennessee for a conference. It's a three-hour drive on the interstate the entire way. Halfway there, I was sick of the interstate and decided to get off at an exit and take a more rural route the rest of the way. It was just dumb luck that I picked the fascinating route that I did. Along the way, I passed two different liquor stores that had life-size pink elephants out front. I also passed a water tower that was shaped like a soccer ball. This route took me through the heart of a few very small old towns and some lovely tobacco country, including several smoking tobacco barns. The most amazing landmark I encountered was the castle. The transformation from rural country to another small town was gradual, and eventually I found myself driving through a village of houses. Just past the houses were a few old buildings and a restaurant. The restaurant appeared to be closed and in poor condition. The huge rusty vertical neon sign, which simply read, Restaurant, had definitely seen its better days. I assumed it hadn't functioned in years. Just past the restaurant, the road ended at a stop sign. To the right was the historic district of the town, but my eyes were affixed to the structure across the street to my left. A castle. An honest-to-God castle right smack dab in the middle of this rural country town. 
Four rounded turret towers at each corner of the castle loomed over the town. They were joined together by massive gray stone walls. Thin windows were scattered throughout the walls, and the center of the castle housed a colossal wooden door. It was absolutely breathtaking and so out of place. I parked my car, took out my cell phone, and snapped several pictures. I took photography classes in high school and college, so I knew my way around a camera and was trying my best to do the castle justice. My timing for discovering the castle was impeccable, as the sun was beginning to hang low in the sky as it approached sunset. I waited until just the perfect moment and managed to take some truly breathtaking shots of this magnificent structure. As the sun dropped behind the horizon, my stomach began to growl, so I walked down the historic district of town in hopes of finding a functioning restaurant. I was in luck. A small, tidy diner was just down the road. Its sign was in the shape of an ice cream cone. A burger and fries with an ice cream cone for dessert was just what the doctor ordered, so I quickened my pace to the establishment. When I arrived in front of the diner, several people were exiting. The last person out turned and locked the door. He then tested it to make sure it wouldn't open. I looked at my wristwatch. It was just after 6 o'clock. Are you closed? It's dinner time. The man looked at me like I was nuts and hurried away. Across the street was a coffee shop. Maybe they had some donuts or pastries of some sort. As I crossed the street, an employee stepped to the door and flipped the sign on the door from open to closed. I threw up my hands. You've got to be kidding me. One building over was a gift shop. An older woman was bringing a display sign inside. She was clearly closing her store, too. I approached the woman and asked her if she knew of any restaurants nearby. She looked at me with fear in her eyes. You're one of them, aren't you? With that, she rushed inside her building and locked the door. One of them? What was this woman talking about? I gave up eating in town and headed back to my car. As I reached for the handle of my car door, the gigantic wooden door of the castle slowly creaked open. A couple emerged, a man in his fifties with slicked back hair. He was in a tuxedo with tails. A woman was on his arm of equal age and wearing a stunning evening gown. Several other people emerged from the castle behind them. All of them were so elegantly dressed. The group of at least 30 people chatted with each other as they exited the castle and crossed the street. As I turned to see where they were headed, I noticed that the neon sign of the old restaurant was functioning. The bright pink neon was beaming, and the interior of the restaurant was lit up as well. I witnessed a rather large crowd entering the restaurant, and this is where the people from the castle were heading too. Good, I thought. I finally get to eat. I followed the castle people inside the restaurant and told the host that I'd like a table for one. He told me there would be a 10 minute wait, which was fine with me. 
I'm the kind of person who observes other people's dishes at restaurants, and when I find something that looks good, I just tell the server I'll have what they're having. So having 10 minutes to check out the dishes in the restaurant worked out well for me. The first thing I noticed was how well everyone was dressed. I was wearing a long skirt with boots and a button-up shirt. Nothing fancy, but nice enough to where I didn't stand out too bad. As I gawked around at the tables in the restaurant, keeping an eye out for mouth-watering dishes, I noticed that nobody was eating anything substantial. Most of the people were drinking wine. Some were sipping dark soup broths from bowls. But that was the extent of the food. There wasn't even any bread or appetizers out. When I was finally seated, the waiter didn't hand me a menu. Instead, he said, Today we have O positive, A positive, B positive, and AB negative. He was listing blood types. I paused and gazed about the room again. These people were not drinking wine. They were drinking blood. Then I looked closer at the people. As they chit-chatted away, some of them would occasionally smile and laugh, revealing fangs. At the back of the restaurant was a pair of swinging doors that obviously led to the kitchen area. As a waiter passed through the swinging doors, I caught a glimpse of multiple people. They were naked, hanging upside down, and had wine taps stuck in their throats. The kitchen door was open long enough for me to witness one of the waiters filling a wine glass full of blood straight from one of the human taps. I was sitting in a den of vampires. I guess the waiter was getting tired of waiting for my response and cleared his throat loudly. I turned my attention back to him. I knew that if I lost my composure, they would know I wasn't one of them and they'd soon have me hanging in the kitchen with a tap in my neck. I took a deep breath to calm my nerves and subtly cleared my throat before I spoke. How is the O positive today? The waiter smiled. I recommend it. I nodded. That will be fine. The waiter nodded at me, but then hesitated and seemed to sniff slightly before he turned and left. I noticed some of the other vampires sniffing as they passed me as though they caught a subtle whiff of something extraordinary. I assumed it was my blood that they smelled. Fortunately, it seemed as though my blood scent was mixing enough with the other blood aroma in the room that they did not suspect me, at least not yet. Not as long as I could continue playing it cool. When the waiter brought me my glass of O positive, he stood and watched me. It seemed as though he wanted to make sure the drink met with my approval before he left. I decided to treat it like wine. I placed my nose over the glass and took in a nice whiff. I then nodded to the waiter approvingly. His expression displayed that he was pleased, but he didn't move. He wanted to see me drink it. So I did. I took a hearty sip. The blood was thick and salty with a hint of iron. 
I smiled as I swallowed it down and did the best acting job I could to convey that I enjoyed it. I guess the waiter believed me as he smiled, revealing his fangs, and then tended to another table. Although nobody gave me the impression that they were on to me, enough people were glancing my way on occasion that I thought I may raise suspicions if I left too quickly and didn't finish my blood. So I milked my drink. I sipped the blood as I observed the others in the room. Some of the vampires had finished and left. Fortunately, nobody seemed to be paying. Apparently, this was an open blood bar. Lucky for me because I got the feeling that the jig may be up if I offered the waiter my credit card. I sat there for a good 20 minutes or so and didn't stand from my table until I had swallowed every last drop of the blood. I then confidently strolled out of the restaurant. A lot of the well-dressed people, uh, vampires, were loitering in the street. I made a point not to make eye contact with any of them. The last thing I needed was for one of them to come up and start making small talk with me. I was quite sure I would fail that test. Luckily, none of them approached me. I wasn't sure if vampires drove cars or not, so I made sure none of them were looking my way when I finally entered my car and drove off. I haven't been back to that strange little town since then but it's not out of the question that I may visit again at some point. I would love to get a look at the interior of that castle. And honestly, the blood wasn't that bad. The Fly I'm a 61-year-old man. Everybody likes me. I'm super friendly. I'm a people person. I love everybody and just about everything. Except for the fly. I hate those dirty, annoying insects. But for some reason, they love me. They buzz around me non-stop as if trying to get my attention. I've become quite skilled with the fly swatter over the years. I have a lovely wife who I have been married to for 40 years. We have a 20-year-old daughter who is away at college. She's sweet and smart. We could not be more proud. I work as an operations manager for a supply store warehouse. The night in question was Tuesday, Taco Tuesday in my household. My wife had called me at work to tell me to pick up some taco shells on the way home. I completely forgot. That is until I opened the front door to our house and caught a whiff of my wife's taco-seasoned meat. I don't know how she does it, but nobody makes tacos like my wife. Nobody. It didn't sound like she heard me open the door, so I snuck back out of the house, rushed to my car, and hit the pavement toward the local grocery store, which was just about ten minutes away. I was halfway there when my cell phone rang. I looked at the incoming number. It was my wife. Busted. 
I answered, and she began playfully scolding me before I could utter a word. You forgot the taco shells, didn't you? <laughs> you caught me. I'll be back in ten minutes. I'll have the table ready when you get here. I love you. As I hung up, I felt something crawling on the back of my neck. I swatted at it and heard the loud buzz of a fly. A big fat house fly. He started flying around the car and kept buzzing against my ear. I swatted and cursed at the fly. He occasionally landed on the window or the seat and I tried my damnedest to kill the annoying bugger. Finally, it settled on the dashboard. It seemed relaxed. This was my chance to end the fly's life. As I focused on the fly and slowly raised my hand into killing position, my peripheral vision caught a glimpse of something large standing in the road in front of me. My eyes darted away from the fly to the deer in the middle of the road staring right at me. I was too late to stop. Instinctively, I swerved out of the path of the deer, but lost control of my car and hit a telephone pole head-on. Everything went black. The last thing I heard before I lost consciousness was the buzzing of the fly. When I woke up, it was daylight, and I was in the sky, falling toward the earth. I tried to scream, but no sound came out. The ground was approaching quickly. Suddenly, I stopped in mid-air. I was hovering. I was flying. Not far away was a large building. I flew to it and landed on the ledge. When I looked down to see where I was, I saw my legs. All six of them. I looked at the building window that I was standing next to and saw my reflection. I was a fly. I had been resurrected as a fly. It didn't take me long to adapt to my fly life. There were a lot of benefits. Flying is a blast. It's so fun. I've never felt more free. I have to be careful though. I quickly learned that most other creatures in the world want to eat me. My eyesight is out of this world. I don't have to turn my head. I see everything around me all at once. It's hard to explain, and humans just wouldn't be able to comprehend the concept. It's something you have to experience firsthand. And eating isn't as bad as you think. In case you didn't know, flies have what is called a proboscis. It's basically a straw for a mouth. And since flies don't have teeth, they have to vomit on solid food in order to liquefy it and suck it up. Humans tend to find this repulsive. I know I did before I was a fly. But it's not a lot different than how humans digest food. It's just done at a different stage. Food still tastes great, but I wouldn't expect humans to understand. Humans are a special kind of ignorant. I didn't realize this until I became a fly. I was settling into my life as a fly just fine. I had routines. I knew the best places to go for food. Dumpsters are like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And it's free. I spend my leisure time flying around or basking in the sun. It wasn't so bad. But I was lonely. I missed my wife and daughter. I decided to fly home and check on my wife. She loved me as much as I loved her. This had to be hard on her. I got home and flew in through an open window. 
I found my wife sitting on our bed, looking through photo albums of us. Of me. Occasionally she would laugh, but before long her lips began to quiver and tears started streaming down her face. I wanted so badly to scream out and let her know I was there, but she couldn't hear me, and certainly wouldn't understand me if she could. So I tried to communicate with her in another way. I buzzed her. I buzzed by her face. I landed on her shoulder. I flew all around her, hoping in some way she may sense my presence and feel better. Get away from me, you damn fly! I was surprised when she swatted at me. She missed, but the air trail from her hand caused me to lose my bearings and I tumbled to the ground. Then she tried to stomp on me. My wife was trying to kill me. I was able to fly out of the way just in the nick of time. I flew toward the door and saw her giving chase. She ran to my favorite chair and pulled out the murder weapon, what I used to refer to as a fly swatter. She smacked at me several times, all while cursing at me like a sailor, before I finally flew out the window. I was devastated. I, I was just trying to make her feel better, but she couldn't see that. I did nothing other than annoy her. I was depressed. I didn't eat much for the next few days. It was probably hunger pains I was feeling, but it felt like heartache. I decided to visit my daughter at college. Perhaps she would react differently. It was a long journey to get to her school, but I made it without any of my enemies ingesting me. When I got to her dorm room, I found her sitting at a table, looking at a picture of me holding her when she was a baby. She was sobbing. I had to attempt communication with her. I, I flew to the picture and landed on my face in the picture, then on her face in the picture. I walked back and forth from face to face trying to get her to understand, but she didn't. She just shooed me away. I buzzed around her face, and she cursed me and swatted at me with wicked intentions. Get away from me, you repulsive fly! I couldn't take having someone I loved be absolutely disgusted by me. I flew to the other end of the room until she forgot about me. Eventually, I flew to her as quietly as I could and landed on her back. She was wearing a thick sweater, so she didn't feel me as I walked up her back and sat on her shoulder. It was nice to share a moment with her, even if she was unaware of it and ultimately wanted me dead. I left that night and tried to put my wife and daughter out of my mind and just live my life as a fly. But I had to see my wife one more time. I flew home and sat in the living room with her. My wife was resting in her favorite chair, rocking back and forth, crying. She missed me. But I was right there. I just had no way to communicate that to her. I wanted so badly to console her, to help her, to hug her. It was hard to fight the urge to fly to her. I just wanted to be close to her, but doing so would cause her to curse me shoo me and try to kill me. I am no comfort to her now. I'm a nuisance. This will be the last time I see my wife.
It's time for me to fly far away from here. I can no longer tolerate the pain of all those who I love hating me. I'll leave you now with this bit of advice. The next time a fly buzzes around you, please be mindful. It just may be someone you love. Real Estate The Buyer I'm a 41-year-old male. I wanted to move to this little town I recently discovered. It was built around a lake. The town is old but modernized and active. There's a nice variety of restaurants, pubs, stores, and multiple theaters to spend time at on any given night. And the people are wonderful, just super nice. There was one area in particular that I had my eye on. It was a lakefront road and was home to five different houses. The houses on the end of the road were large and out of my price range. The houses next to them were in my price range but had both sold earlier in the year before I had even started looking. The odds of either of them coming back to market again was practically zero. That left the house in the middle. A small two-bedroom, two-bathroom cottage that had recently been renovated. It was perfect. I wanted it. Unfortunately, it was not for sale. At one point, I considered having my realtor knock on their door to see if they were interested in selling. I was resigned to the fact that the perfect house was out of my reach, so I had been looking at houses on nearby roads. Not perfect, but good enough. Then one day, as I checked the latest listings, I found that the perfect house was up for sale, and it was in my price range. It was as though it were meant to be. The listing wasn't even an hour old when I sent in my offer sight unseen, and I wasn't fooling around. I offered $5,000 higher than the asking price and I offered cash. I was going to have to borrow some money from friends, but they knew I'd be good for it. I even waived all contingencies to make the decision even easier for the seller. There was no way I was going to lose this house. I was quite shocked when my realtor told me that the listing broker requested that they be able to show the house for three days before presenting all the offers to the seller. I couldn't believe it. My offer was amazing. It made me wonder if the listing realtor was withholding my offer from the seller in order to show it to some of her clients. In the real estate game, realtors tend to get 3% of the final price of the sold house. If another realtor shows the house and their client purchases the home, the listing realtor has to split that 3% with the other realtor. If the listing realtor is able to sell the house to a buyer they represent, the listing realtor stands to make more commission. It's definitely a conflict of interest. In some states, it's even illegal for the listing realtor to show their own listings. But that's not the case in this state. 
I went along with her game and even upped my offer another $5,000. I really couldn't afford to do that, but I'd figure something out. After three days, I waited impatiently to hear if my offer was accepted. It was denied. I was given no counteroffer or explanation. I was simply told that the offer was refused. I couldn't believe it. I suspected that the listing realtor never showed the seller my offer. If that's the case, the realtor is shady and unethical. I told my realtor that I wanted proof from the listing agent that they presented the offer to the seller and that the seller declined it. I could live with that. The problem was the listing agent refused to offer up proof. I was going to contact my lawyer. If I lost out on the perfect house because the listing agent did not present the offer I made, a nice consolation prize to losing out on it would be mounting the listing agent's real estate license over my mantle. Real Estate The Real Estate Agent Son of a bitch. I started in the real estate business when I was 18 years old. That was over 20 years ago. And now I'm going to lose it all because some schmuck who lost out on one of my listings is butthurt about it? Screw him. If he really wanted the house, he shouldn't have used an outside real estate agent to represent him. He should have used me. Then I would have gotten the full 3% commission and he'd have the house. It's all his fault. For the record, I rarely show offers to my sellers if the wannabe buyer uses an outside agent. And up until now, I've never had anyone make a stink about it. Sure, my tactics may be underhanded and unprofessional, but the way I see it, I'm the one doing all the work. I deserve a nice size of the pie. If this jerk lawyer's up, I'll likely lose my license, my livelihood. I opened up my top dresser drawer and reached underneath a stack of panties until I found the cold steel of my 38 revolver. I hadn't used this baby since I murdered my husband five years ago, but I can still handle it, and I'll put it to good use later tonight when I track down that wannabe buyer. If they take my license, I take their life. I tucked my gun into my purse. When I opened the front door to leave, I was quite surprised to see Paul Galt standing there, his hands behind his back. He was the seller of the house in question. He was in his late fifties with bushy hair and a manicured mustache. I hope I didn't catch you at a bad time. I collected myself and took a breath. Actually, I was just on my way out. Is there anything I can do for you? He smiled at me and withdrew a bottle of wine from behind his back. I just wanted to thank you again for selling my house so promptly. I caught a glimpse of the wine label. It was cheap crap. I didn't have time for this. I had places to go and people to kill. I stepped out onto the front porch with him and flashed him a fake smile. I was about to tell him I needed to go, but I didn't get a chance to. He caught me off guard as he raised the bottle up in the air and smashed me over the head with it. I wasn't sure if it were wine or blood that was cascading down my face. 
The force of the blow rocked me backwards and sent me tumbling into the house. My purse hit the ground with force and the gun fell from it and slid into the kitchen. I managed to get myself up to my hands and knees and started crawling for the gun, but I felt Paul grab me by the ankles and pull me away. I could feel sharp bursts of pain as he stabbed me in the back of the thighs, over and over. He was stabbing at such a frantic pace. He moved his fury up to my lower back, shoulders, and eventually slit my throat. Real Estate The Cellar What a wonderful day. I sold my house. Not only that, the highest offer was $3,000 over the asking price. The offer is contingent on a home inspection and the buyers selling their own home, but I'm not worried about any of that. I'm sure it will all work out fine. I'm just happy with how easy it was to sell. What a great job my realtor did. I was sipping on a glass of wine and listening to Beethoven's Fifth when the phone rang. The man on the other end of the phone introduced himself as Larry Butler. He said he had put an offer in on my house. I asked him how he got my number and he replied that my name was on the offer sheet. I dropped my wine glass to the floor when he told me he had offered $10,000 above the asking price in cash and with no contingencies. He said he suspected that my realtor had withheld the offer from me. He was polite and just wanted to make sure I was aware of the situation. I thanked him and hung up. So, my realtor thinks she can pull one over on me, does she? She has no idea who she's dealing with. I kill people for fun. But screw me over? And I'll carve you up real nice. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon.